0: If you'd like to turn back to Psalm 90 in your Bibles, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, as Ken said. And I'll pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask that you help us to see you more clearly and see ourselves and our lives more clearly. And please be teaching us how to live wisely in the light of eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well New Year's Eve is very soon as we all know and it's usually a pretty cheery event because it's an excuse for a party and you might have some fun plans for what you're going to do on New Year's Eve but it is possible to take uh, New Year's much more soberly and reflectively as well. I read something the other day that suggested that we can use the turning of each new year as something of a rehearsal for our death. Uh, in other words, we can look back on the time that's passed and review how we've used that time, which I imagine somebody might do, do if they know that they're sort of nearing their, the end of their life in this world. What, is my, what has my life amounted to? How have I used the years that God has given me? We don't have to wait for... Um, nearing death to do that. We can do it every New Year. We can rehearse for our deaths. What has my year amounted to? What has 2019 amounted to? Uh, So try saying that to the next person who asks you what you're doing for New Year's. Um, I'm rehearsing for my death. (laughs) Uh, It's not such a silly idea because of course we only have limited time in this world and we do need to use it well. So it's good to reflect on how we're using it and how that will be assessed. We all know that it's very easy to waste time. Uh, We waste it because we assume that we have much more time than we actually do sometimes. I can remember as a child looking at the people in their 20s at my church and thinking that they were impossibly old and grown up. And uh, I couldn't imagine ever getting to be that old and grown up as being sort of that tall and having hair around the place and all that sort of stuff. Much less could I imagine myself at the grand old age of 47 So when you're young, life sort of stretches out in front of you with no end in sight and it seems like you have time to do everything and so you waste some of that time. At the other end of life, I guess it might be tempting to feel that there's no time left to really do anything. And again, that would waste the remaining years or months or days that we have. So it's not such a silly idea to stop occasionally and to reflect on how we're using the time that God is giving us. You don't have to do it on New Year's Eve, you can go out for New Year's Eve and do your reflecting on New Year's Day, that's okay as well, no less godly. Um, So we have limited time. We might all know the feeling of uh, looking at our bank statement and thinking, what happened to all my money? It's all gone. And then we look at the transactions, this is what I do, I then look at the transactions to check that there hasn't been a mistake, and then I realise, no, I spent it all, it's all gone. Uh, Well, it's also good to make an accounting for our time, how we're spending our time, especially because it's possible to get more money one way or another, but it's not possible to get more time, it is a balance that only runs down. We'll be looking at various passages over summer, as Ken said, uh, five weeks on this in fact, um, concerning how a Christian relates to time and beginning today with Psalm 90. You'll, have, you'll see in the, uh, the first little bit of the psalm that Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's the only one of the psalms that was written by Moses and it reflects on the nature of our days in the light of God and his eternity You might recall that Moses was a uniquely great figure in the Old Testament. No one else knew God like Moses did. Um, Moses met the Lord on Mount Sinai when everyone else had to stay down in the camp and then he alone would go into the tent of meeting and stand in the presence of God and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend according to the Bible. And so it's not surprising if Moses knew God like that, that he was able to pen a psalm like this, which shows an awareness of God's eternity, the sheer scale of God compared to our limitations. Um, In Numbers, it describes Moses as a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And that's because he saw God more clearly than anyone else, I take it. He knew God better than anyone else. He stood closer to God than anyone else and that made him humble. Uh, I I guess it's a little bit like going to Ayers Rock. You know, from a long way away or on the TV, you think, gee, that's a big rock. But when you stand next to Ayers Rock, Uluru, goodness me, this is an absolutely gigantic rock. You get an appreciation for what what everyone talks about. The The nearer you are, the more dwarfed you are, the more impressed you are. So this psalm is a very humble psalm as Moses stands next to the eternal God and it's also a sad and sombre psalm, as you might have noticed when Joe read it to us, our days in the light of God's eternity. So Moses firstly addresses the eternal God, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Of course, mountains seem like fairly permanent things, don't they? There's a mountain there today. It's pretty likely that when you get up tomorrow morning, the mountain will still be there. Uh, But of course, even mountains are subject to time. Even mountains had a birth and even mountains will have a death, whether it be sudden or gradual. And in fact, the whole universe, the whole created order is subject to time. But God, the creator, is not subject to time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. He always was. He always will be. Sometimes people say, "Um, well, who created God? To which the answer is, of course, no one. He just is. He exists outside of time and space. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Nobody created God. And of course, this is not something that our minds can grasp. And yet Moses says, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. In other words, while for temporary creatures whose existence and whose minds are bound in space and time, the passing of time can be a little bit alarming, maybe a little bit frustrating for us. Time just slips away, but we can take refuge in the permanence of God. And I think this psalm shows us how to do that, how to take refuge in the eternity of God as very small limited beings ourselves. So firstly, Moses reflects on the nature of our days and that is our time is extremely limited. This is because we are fallen creatures and we are under the judgment of God. Some people take the view that death is a natural thing. They even say things like, well, death is a part of life, isn't it? Um, And I understand what they mean when they say that, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense to say that death is a part of life and it underestimates how good things are supposed to be. Death is not a natural thing and people were not originally intended to die. Humans were not created to die. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had ready access to the tree of life. Uh, They were supposed to live there with God, serving him happily forever in the Garden of Eden. Now, I imagine you could really achieve some things if you had limitless time and no sin to get lazy. Um, They would have had pretty happy, productive, satisfying lives. But of course, as we know, they sinned and the human race fell from God and we were banished from access to the Tree of Life and so death came and our lives became limited. And the limitation on our lives involves both the quantity as well as the quality of the days that we live, as Moses describes here. Firstly, regarding the quantity of our days, verses 3 to 6, Moses says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning, In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. In other words, we don't have long in this world, not in the grand scheme of things. Even if we were to live to a thousand years old, um, as people in the early chapters of Genesis did, remember the record holder, Methuselah, 969 years old, pretty close to a thousand years. Uh, It's like a mere day to God. What's the difference between living to a thousand, living to a hundred and living only a day? after all. They're all just drops in the ocean of God's eternity, whether you live to a thousand or live only a day. The fact that we all die, all of our lives are limited, means that we are all just temporary and that puts a huge gulf between God and us. So you see, the fact that we die and we're now mortal has changed everything for us. All of our lives now have this countdown running. We're all running towards a deadline, all of us. We weren't supposed to be oppressed in this way, having this clock ticking over our lives all the time and death coming. Now, of course, a lot of people think, well, who'd want to live forever anyway? Um, Not me, and I would feel the same way. Except that our lives were supposed to be unlimited in quality as well as in quantity. Regarding the quality of our days, Moses says this, verses 7 to 11, We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and and we fly away. Now, if you're a Christian Um, you know that God's anger at you has been extinguished by Jesus on the cross. Your sins are removed, your destiny is not curse if you're a Christian. And yet, we still live in this world that is under sin and we still experience the curse in our earthly lives, at least for the time being, even as Christians. And so for, for all of us, our days are marked by God's wrath On this fallen human race. Verse 7, it consumes and overwhelms us. Verse 9, it makes life exhausting, and so we end not with a bang but with a whimper. Verse 10, our days are marked by trouble and sorrow, and then we are gone. Now, some people might say, well, surely it's not as bad as all that. I mean, Moses is painting it all pretty dark here. Um, And we can assume that Moses had some bright spots in his life as well. I mean, you know, he was a person like the rest of us. But Moses is emphasising the point that the quality of human life overall is extremely limited, just as God said it would be at the fall. He said, now life is going to be a struggle for you and then you will die. That's what, that's, that was the curse of God at the fall. Now that may not be entirely your experience. I mean, your life might be filled with lots of wonderful things. But if that's the case, you're lucky. And I think you still have to admit that this sums up Humanity's experience overall, the way that Moses describes it here, and Moses also says that we are actually in in denial about how bad things are. Verse eleven, he says, "If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due." And so we str- we struggle to grasp God's anger at our sin. Uh, Time is for us extremely limited in its quantity and its quality and we have trouble sensing that sometimes but our days are short and they are hard. So what is the sensible thing to do if that, is the way that, if that is the human condition? Moses says, verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To number our days means to value our days properly. If we have days that are good enough to use profitably, then we mustn't waste them. We have to make the most of them. But how is that done? If we number our days wisely, what does that mean our days will be filled with? Well, Moses then prays for the redemption of our days. He prays that God would reach into the human condition and turn it around. Verse 13, he says, "'Relent, Lord, how long will it be? "'Have compassion on your servants.'" What do you think Moses was waiting for when he said to God how long will it be? What was what was Moses actually waiting for? Well I think he was waiting for the blessing that God promised to his people. He was waiting for God's compassion to be shown. He was waiting for God to reverse the curse for his people. But it seems that even Moses didn't imagine how radical God's ultimate solution would be. Maybe he imag- Moses imagined sort of you know, better days in the land of Canaan when they got there. But he didn't imagine the defeat of death itself, the removal of the curse altogether. He didn't imagine the resurrection of Jesus Christ and life and immortality being brought to light through the gospel. Uh, uh, Moses couldn't imagine that. So he prays for a fairly vague solution, it seems to me. But we have seen the solution in much more detail and it's much bigger than Moses even dared to pray for. He prays here for love instead of wrath. Verses 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. So what he's praying for there is a very different experience to the one that he's just been describing earlier in the psalm. A life not dominated by God's wrath and anger, but rather dominated by God's love. And God's love is something that can truly fill and satisfy a person. God's love can change the complexion of each and every day. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. It can change the quality of your time to know God's love. Now, for Christians, God meets us in his Son through his Holy Spirit every day so that while we still live in this fallen world and experience everything else, uh, we know that God is with us and his love is holding on to us and he will bring us through. And that makes a huge difference to the quality of our days, our experience of God and his love. He meets us in the morning with his unfailing love. And we know that God's love hasn't just improved the quality of our days, It's also uh, increased the quantity such that after this earthly life ends, eternal life with God then continues. We know that we will live for as long as God loves us. And how long will God love us for? He will love us forever and so we will live forever. As we heard in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our resurrection. So the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, and the aim of it all is unending fellowship with God. Eternal life in both quality as well as quantity is what uh, we are promised as Christians. So that's the first thing that Moses prays for here. Instead of wrath, love, which removes the curse from our days. The second prayer that he prays here is for fruitfulness instead of futility. It's a prayer for significance, for a legacy. Moses is wise enough here to pray for a legacy that is part of God's work rather than a legacy of his own because after all, the only really significant thing in this world is what God is doing and the name that God is making for himself rather than the little names that we make for ourselves throughout these lives which is basically a waste of time. Moses says, "'May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children.'" May the favour or the beauty of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses wants to be useful for God because God is his delight. He sees God's beauty. He sees God's splendour and God's worth. He wants the work of his hands to be established because the work of his hands is God's work. It's fairly natural for us to want to do something in our lives that is worthwhile and not waste our time. Nobody really wants to say that they wasted their life. But again, we have a much clearer hope than Moses did that our work can have eternal significance in this life. At the end of that resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, a part of which was read, given that death has been defeated, given that Jesus has risen, given that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, Paul writes... Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Establish the work of our hands. Now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, uh, our work in the Lord is not in vain. What is the work of the Lord? Well, it is the work of promoting the message of Jesus Christ. That's the work that God is doing that makes his name and bears fruit for eternity. It's the work of the gospel because the gospel is what saves people eternally. Paul says, always abound in that work. Give yourselves fully to that work, the work of the Lord. I hope that you know that there are many, many roles to be played in promoting the gospel through this church alone, but of course even more broadly in the world and that includes praying for the work of the gospel, which is the work of the Lord. And it's all the work of the Lord, whatever promotes the message about Jesus Christ. How do we number our earthly days? How do we make our days count? By seeking the joy of God's love in Christ and by seeking the fruit of God's work in Christ. That's how we make our days count. I was once given a book of... Uh, Guinness Book of World Records. You know how when you're a kid sometimes you get given one of them for your birthday or Christmas? Uh, and I read of a man in Queensland who got a typewriter and decided to type out the numbers from one to one million but not the numbers, he, re- he typed out the letters rather than the numerals so O-N-E, T-W-O and away he went. He clack-clacked on this typewriter for hours every day for 16 years and uh, used 20,000 sheets of paper in the process Finally, he finished. He had his photo taken. It's there in the Guinness Book of Records. Sitting in his lounge chair with his typewriter on his lap next to this huge stack of paper, which is the typed uh, numbers, one to a million, was just something for him to do. He found he enjoyed it, and he just kept going. Now, you might think that was a waste of time. And uh, I think you'd probably be right. (laughs) But of course, it's no more a waste of time than what we spend hours doing every day watching TV or uh, various other vain pursuits that we occupy ourselves with. The thing is that Christians have ways of spending our time that are far more eternally significant and fruitful. There is a relationship with God for us to develop, which starts now and lasts all the way into eternity. There are many people to reach with the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to see saved for eternity. This is not to say that you can't take up typing if that's what you really enjoy or gardening or crochet or bushwalking or whatever other earthly pursuits that you enjoy on the side. It's not to say that your secular work is of no use or that God's not interested in that because he is. But to number our days aright, we need to take eternity into account uh, and be involved in the work of the Lord. And so it could be that as one year and one decade roll into the next very shortly, it's a good time for all of us to repent of not numbering our days aright. Maybe we should say sorry for the time that we have wasted. Now, of course, I'm not saying you should feel guilty if you go on holidays. We all need to rest from time to time. But that can be overdone, of course, and we can neglect the work of the Lord maybe we should plan to spend our time better in the coming year or at least make a plan for how we will spend our time. That might be a start. For me, I often uh, let the urgent crowd out the important, as many of us do. So uh, I work full time at this church. I'm, I'm able to devote myself all of that time to the work of the Lord, but of course I could use that time better. Um, often the urgent stuff crowds out the important stuff. This year, I am resolved to pray for each of you by name on a regular basis. Um, uh, I haven't been doing that systematically. This coming year I will be doing that systematically. You will be prayed for because I think that's important. That's a part of the work of the Lord that I have been neglecting and and I'm repenting of this year. We all need to number our days so that we can use them well in fellowship with God and in service of the gospel. God, of course, has put all of us in different situations and he has called us all to different tasks in his great project. How is God calling you to spend your time from now on? Time marches on. Uh, The hymn says, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. Uh, We're all being carried away on this tide of time. But if we number our days aright and we use them for God then what we are doing is anchoring ourselves in eternity. We are making God our dwelling place by numbering our days with eternity in view. So let's pray that God gives us that wisdom to use the time that he gives us well. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us a due sense of who you are in your eternity That you are from everlasting to everlasting. We also pray that you, you would give us a due sense of our own limitations and the value of the time that you give to us. Help us to number our days aright. Help us to foster our relationship with you which will last forever. Help us to be busy in doing your work which lasts forever. And give us the wisdom to balance all the demands that we have on our time. The rest, as well as the work, as well as all the different responsibilities that you give to us. Give us that wisdom to number our days. And may we start, Father, by just thinking carefully about it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.